Good morning. Let's use our Bibles. Open to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. The sermon series for this year, once a month sermons, is about this theme. What a difference it can make in your life when you just use the Bible. And we have covered now seven basic subjects to date. What the Bible says about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Old Testament, the New Testament, becoming a Christian, being a Christian, and we're ready today to consider what the Bible says about the church. And I should like to begin in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Ephesians three, fourteen through 21. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than what we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this is Paul's prayer for the spiritual strength of the Christians in Ephesus. And you'll observe how that prayer closes, particularly the statement I call your attention to in verse 21, to him be glory in the church. Still in Ephesians, turn a couple of pages to chapter 5. And in Ephesians chapter 5, find verses 25 through 27. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. I want us to observe that in both of those passages, the Apostle Paul speaks of the church and he associates the church with glory. He associates the church with glory. To God be glory in the church. 
And in Ephesians 5.27, the church is being presented to deity in splendor or glorious. I begin with this point. If the New Testament speaks of the church in terms of glory, we should adopt that acclamation and never be timid about it. Particularly as expressed in the Ephesians 5 passage, if it is the desire of Christ for his church to be glorious not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that that it be holy and without blemish, our interest in the church should be the same as his. Christ not only wants his people to place this value on his church, he wants us to submit individually to the cleansing through the word that would result in this glory. For the sake of correct thinking and right living, we need to appreciate everything the New Testament says about Christ church. Because there is in the New Testament the glorious church. And we cannot ignore that. We should not apologize for it. We should read what Paul wrote and without hesitation take the same view that he expressed about the glorious church and have the same desire Christ has for his people, his church. It will help us be the kind of people God intends us to be when we acknowledge what the New Testament says about the church. I'm going to talk to us today about the glorious church, but not without a preliminary but brief word of clarity. Don't think about a physical building. I know that's the common association when the word church is used in modern vocabulary. Look at that nice church building. We also talk, talk about coming to assemblies as going to church. And I'm not being critical. I just want to be clear about our subject from these passages. It's about the church. And there's another distinction to be made. There are local groups in a variety of geographic locations around the world but in these passages in Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 5, the church is in its universal scope, meaning all of God's people. So in this sermon, I'm not talking about the local church in a particular location. I'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. In the New Testament, we certainly see Christians doing things together under the direction of the headship of Christ through what the apostles wrote. There is the local church. Various passages show the obligation we have to participate in a sound local church. But when I speak about the glorious church, I'm not talking about a single locality. I'm talking about all of Christ's people. More about that 
in a few minutes. Further, when I speak of the glorious church, I'm not talking about a confederation of congregations that are united together under some sort of hierarchy or headquarters. It may be tempting to think of the church of Christ as a huge organization made up of local congregations. The New Testament never gives us that idea. The glorious church of the Lord is composed of every person saved by Christ. The whole body of Christ in the universal sense, the glorious church. We need to know what the New Testament says about that. We need to embrace it wholeheartedly and be a part of what Christ loves and wants. Now when Paul says the church is glorious, what is the significance of that? In Ephesians 5.27, glorious church. The word used by Paul is about something that is beyond the ordinary. It's about something not manufactured by men. It is about a creation of God that is magnificent and that causes good hearts to express their praise to God and see any participation that God has ordained as worthy of their zealous efforts. It is something that carries the imprint of God's making and the beauty of it causes good-hearted people to praise God. Many of you have been to some of the beautiful places in the world or in this country. Grand Canyon, Diamond Head in Hawaii, the mountains of Arkansas or Utah. And you've had those experiences where you just stand there and you take in the natural evidence of God's creative work. And your response is to praise God, to be thankful to Him, and to seek to be closer to the One who made all of these marvelous things. Now, when you read what the New Testament says about the Lord's church, Christ's people, your response should be even greater and deeper. And there should be a strong desire to be a part of what Christ died to have. The Lord's church is no mountain or sea or cave. It is the living, breathing creation of God. It is people bought by the blood of Christ. It is the redeemed in fellowship with God waiting for their final transition into heaven, but living every day to that end. We need a strong sense of wonder and respect for the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Because Christ built it. Simon Peter spoke the truth about who Jesus is. And Jesus followed up with his confession, giving this promise, on this rock I will build my church. Now when you find a promise in the Bible, what you need to do is track the promise. To track the promise in Matthew 16, 18, you just keep reading. Out of Matthew 16, 
over through the rest of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and the book of Acts. And then you'll come to Acts chapter 2. Jesus built his glorious church. Now, it's fitting to ask yourself, am I a member of the church Jesus built? If he built one, and I love him and respect him, I want to be a member of no other church. Once I understand that the church is his people, guided by his authority, I want to become a part of that. Jesus built his glorious church. If you belong to a religious organization that has a human point of origin and history, and you are not certain about your relationship with God, it should be your steadfast purpose to read your Bible carefully and make certain that you are where God wants you to be. The New Testament doesn't offer hundreds of denominational options such as might be found in the old phone books and the yellow pages now on the internet. I want to be a part of what Jesus built. It matters. Who built the church that you're a part of matters. Was it man or was it God? Does it have a human point of origin? Or can you go all the way back to the promise in Matthew 16, 18 and track that right into Acts chapter 2? Don't you want to be a part of what God built? Christ built the glorious church that you read about in the New Testament. Keep reading your New Testament to discover how you can be a part of that body. We need to be certain we're a part of what he built, what he died for, and loves and wants to present to the Father. It says in Ephesians, sanctified and cleansed. Christ is the head. We don't make this up. Ephesians 1.22 God put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church. Now, this is straight from the Bible. This is why we hope you bring your Bible to these assemblies and look up these passages and see for yourself how plain it is, what a difference it makes. When you just use the Bible. Christ is the head of the church. He is over his people. Now to make that practical and personal. The question is. Are you living under the authority of Christ? Are you living under the authority of Christ? Those who have been baptized into Christ and who live under his authority are members of his church. The church is glorious because he built it and he's the head of it. Those not under his leadership, regardless of their earthly claims 
and memberships in bodies created by men are not in the church that he built. Turn please to Colossians chapter 2. In the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul was concerned about false teaching. You know there are people today who have no concern about false teaching. They will navigate through any kind of religious teaching and consider all of it to have equality, not Paul. Paul was concerned about what was taught that was not the truth of God. A lot of people today make no effort to compare what is taught to Scripture. No commitment to distinguish between truth and error. Well, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles were not casual about the difference between truth and error. And Paul wrote to the Christians in Colossae to warn them and keep them from error. And he said this in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 2. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Jesus Christ is the head of his glorious church, and when the people who make up that body come to a point in life where they do not hold fast to the head, what happens is spiritual decay. You see that phrase? Not holding fast to the head. So what do I need to do? What do you need to do? Hold fast to the head. The church is composed of people who have obeyed the gospel and who desire to hold fast to the head. It is a glorious church <coughs> because Christ built it and Christ is the head of it. We need to understand what the New Testament says about all these things. These things need to be clear in our minds and then in our behavior. No hesitation should ever occur to us. No hesitation to praise God for this valuable relationship that he brought into existence. The glorious church of Christ that he built and that he is the head of and that is composed of Christ's people. And here is such a critical point. Anytime we talk about the church as it is represented in the Bible, Christ didn't build a literal building He didn't build a confederation of churches under some sort of human leadership headquarter organization. He didn't set up denominational religion. The church in the New Testament is people. 
who belong to Christ. Here's a very simple reference to that in Acts 2.47. The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Those, those are people. Today, when an individual hears the gospel and wants to be forgiven by the blood of Christ, so they confess their faith in Christ and turn from their sin and obey the Lord in baptism, the Lord adds them to the one glorious church of Christ. There should be, as taught by the apostles, participation with other Christians where you are. A local church. But that's an obligation and an initiative that should be discharged by the new Christian. I believe there are consequences if one shuns the nourishment God intends for us to find in the local church. But at the point when one obeys the gospel, this says that one is added to the church in fellowship with God. I've presented to you this morning from Ephesians, Matthew, Acts, Colossians, what is written about the glorious church. Now, the point is not just to hold the correct concept in your mind. You should. All our concepts of spiritual things should be just as taught in the Bible. Holding correct views, however, is not the end, but only a step to the end. The end is to see what God has done for us through Christ by His grace, respond with a whole heart, and be a faithful member of the Lord's church and go to heaven. There will come a time unknown by any of us. There will come a time when God calls the church home. We read a few moments ago in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Remember the church is the redeemed. All of those individuals who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. How do you respond to become a part of this that is so honored by Christ in Scripture? How does one respond? The apostles didn't leave us to figure that out on our own. The apostles didn't leave that open for determination by Councils or religious power brokers or preachers or elders. The apostles said, if you have heard the gospel and you believe in Christ, confessing that belief, repent and be baptized and the Lord adds you to his church. What a disaster to hear this from the Bible and know this is written on the page of the book that you have there. And just ignore it. 
and then die. Don't do that. May God help you respond to his word as we stand together to sing.